last time on Motivational Interviewing, the podcast. While MI may not be a panacea for all issues associated with substance abuse, it refocuses the provider's attention on the relationships that have a significant effect on the patient's well-being. And I know I'm like an addict, right? So I already know what you're going to say. I can see how all the uncertainty in your life has really been frustrating for you. What can we do to get you back in the driver's seat to have some control over this thing? If you, as a provider, are only mentioning bad things about substance use, the patient will naturally fall into the role of defender, arguing for continued use. If the patient is coming up with a positive first step forward by themselves, that motivation, that intrinsic drive is going to carry them onward with only minimal support from you. What's our topic today? Diet and exercise. A lot of the students and docs we asked listed discussions about weight or food or exercise as the most difficult topic to bring up with patients. So it deserves a dedicated episode. Definitely. This time around, though, we're going to flip our usual structure on its head. We're going rogue. Watch out. First up is a little quiz. Next, we'll review some of the evidence supporting motivational interviewing, or MI for short, for the obese or those with metabolic syndrome. We'll share a short skit with you and then wrap things up with some pearls of wisdom from current students about how to tailor these conversations to the population we serve here in North Philadelphia. Let's jump right in with this true-false quiz about motivational interviewing. We'll go through all the questions first, so record your answers. Number one, true or false. The S in the ORS mnemonic stands for supportive statements. Number two, true or false. With respect to change talk, the statement, I could get back to a healthy weight if I cut back on the late night Oreos, is a need statement. Number three, true or false. A key principle of motivational interviewing is to identify discrepancy. Number four, true or false. Responding to the statement, I just don't see how any doctor could help me with my diet by saying that you're tired of hearing what you can and can't eat is consistent with the principles of motivational interviewing. Number five, true or false. Motivational interviewing and the stages of change model are the same thing. Number six, true or false. And meta-analyses of motivational interviewing, most, 70%, of the interventions using MI show a small to moderate effect size when compared with usual care. Number seven, true or false. Motivational interviewing works better in groups than in one-on-one settings. Number eight, true or false. Compared with usual advice concerning weight loss, women receiving MI show significant drops in BMI that are sustained in long-term studies. Let's go through the answers. Number one is false. ORS stands for open-ended questions, affirmations, reflections, and summary statements, not supportive statements. So this phrase in question two should be identified as a reason for change statement, not a need statement. The difference is that a need statement isn't always tied to the behavior itself. 
it may represent another intrinsic motivator for change, something you have to dig a little further for. Question number three is true. Remember our RISE mnemonic for the key MI principles, roll with resistance, identify discrepancy, support self-efficacy, and engage with empathy. Identifying discrepancy allows you to highlight gaps between the patient's goals and the status quo. It doesn't confront or challenge the patient, but rather allows them to tackle these issues of ambivalence out in the open. This is an example of rolling with resistance by reflecting the patient's frustrations with overly directive past providers and is a prime example of difference between MI and other approaches to behavior change discussions. Five is false, so these two ideas, motivational interviewing and stages of change, merged around the same time and share some theoretical ancestors, but MI moves beyond simply grouping patients into stages like contemplative or planning and focuses instead on the self-efficacy component. What intrinsic motivators are present in this person? So for number six, we posted a great meta-analysis which shows that this statement is true. MI is effective when compared with usual care for many unique situations, obesity, substance abuse, medication adherence, and there's an abundance of data to support that. Seven and eight are both false, and this brings up the other side of the evidence about motivational interviewing. MI works, but its role in certain situations needs to be delineated. We're beginning to figure out that MI is best in a one-on-one setting, and that makes sense, right? Sure. It's hard to do the work of unearthing the patient's perceptions of self-efficacy in a group setting. And with respect to that last question, across almost all modalities addressing obesity, we see difficulty maintaining weight loss, and motivational interviewing is no exception. What we do see is patients who experience a few MI sessions are more adherent to their diet and more willing to make multiple attempts to lose weight despite slips. They're more resilient. Exactly. So in the skit you're about to hear, the patient is among that all-too-common group of individuals who have had past success with dieting but continue to struggle with her weight. If you don't have some scrap paper out already, find some, because what we'd like you to do is listen to this brief encounter twice. The first time, focus on the patient's words and see if you can't scribble down all the statements of change they express. Those can be expressions of need, commitment, desire, or reasons. And then rewind and listen to the provider. Mark an O, A, R, or S each time you hear an open-ended question, affirmation, reflection, or summary statement. By mapping out this back and forth, hopefully you'll develop the skill of recognizing those important change statements, and you'll have effective responses at the tip of your tongue. Tell me a little bit about what your most pressing concerns are right now. Well, I was just diagnosed with diabetes three months ago, and that's been really hard. I know that I've been overweight my whole life, but I've always thought of myself as pretty healthy. I'm real active. So the diagnosis hits you pretty hard. I'm just not that old, but it seems like it may all be downhill from here. You know, first I get this diagnosis, and the next thing you know, I could wind up with all these bad complications, and I may have to take medicine twice a day for the rest of my life. I just hate it. The diagnosis has brought up some of your worst fears, and I can see that that frightens you, even just thinking about it. Where do you see your weight fitting into all of this? Well, my doc says that losing weight will help with the diabetes, and then if I lose enough, I may even be able to go off the medications. How do you feel about that? 
Well, that would be fantastic, being free of meds and all. But it's going to be hard. I've tried before and it didn't work so great. What has been your previous experience with weight loss? I lost about 30 pounds about five years ago. I joined Weight Watchers, but eventually I gained it all back, plus more. So dieting really worked about five years ago. What made that effort more successful? Well, I guess I just set my mind to it. My son was about three and my job was killing me, but I wanted to keep my act together to take care of my son. But eventually something had to give, and it was my eating. You see, part of your success is coming from the fact that you had just really put your mind to it. But things got crazy, and you struggled to get that consistency back. How do you see this time being different? In terms of what? Your motivation. Well, I'm really scared by this diabetes thing. Like, if I don't take charge, things will spiral out of control. This is a bigger deal in terms of your health. Yeah, I can lose it too. That's the thing. But I know exercising is going to be tough. So the motivation is there, but you're anticipating some difficulty taking care of the exercise part. That can be really hard, but it's difficult in different ways to different people. What do you feel is your biggest hurdle? Time, 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 time. It's hard to fit into my schedule, and I'm tired when I get home. If I let myself sit down, it's TV, snacks, talking on the phone until I go to bed. You've got the pull of feeling like you're ready to exercise more to improve your health, and you've got this tug of, but how am I going to fit this into my schedule? I would feel just as torn. But I feel better once I start. I really do. I feel good after walking or aerobics or whatever. It's important enough from your perspective to work it into your busy schedule, and you feel good. I think you're making the right decision to prioritize exercise. What are some other things about losing weight that you feel might be difficult to deal with? Oh, my Kit Kats. I know I should cut down, but when I do, I eventually go crazy because I feel just too deprived. And maybe you're not sure with the diabetes how often you should eat sweets and desserts. The other doc started talking about healthy foods, and I was just so overwhelmed. It just wasn't the right time or place. Exactly. But I know candy got me off track the last time, so there's that. I think this gives us a great perspective on how many different factors go into controlling one's weight. That's right. There's a lot of moving parts, and it's really difficult to pin down a good starting point for the provider. I liked how they used summary statements, though, to emphasize that the patient herself was uncomfortable with the spot she was in and wanted to change. For those of you keeping score at home, the patient expressed three reasons for change statements and one need for change statement. She's building that foundation of confidence. Maybe the next step for the provider could have been having the patient chart out on a 0 to 10 scale their readiness and perceived ability to change. That's a great exercise that we introduced in the first podcast. It's really helpful in figuring out the baseline potential for behavior change and should be followed up by a question about how the patient might move just one notch up on either scale. How did our provider do in terms of using the ORS skills? So, in order, he went O-R-A, O-O-O, R-O-O, R-O-R, S-O-R, S-R-A, S-O-R. When you're doing it right, it should be mostly reflection statements or open-ended questions. It shows you're letting the patient really guide that discussion. Summary statements and affirmations, though used less often, can really be great pivot points in the discussion, shifting you towards a more meaningful conversation. 
If done right, they break through the artifice of the roles you or the patient play and remind you of the real-life emotions and impulses that drive our daily decisions. Here are some of the doctors we interviewed on how to approach diet tips with patients. One of my current uh, struggles, you know, given the fact that many of our patients have a lot of issues, including things like poverty and food access and security and what is realistically available to you. But the evidence is becoming overwhelming about the inflammatory aspects of our sort of standard Western diet. It's really easy to say, okay, portion size is this, you got to exercise, and especially in our environment where there's no access to food, you got to take the subway down to the fresh grocer on you know, south of Temple's main campus yeah. to get vegetables, and walking on the street in the late afternoon or evening or morning is not exactly a safe proposition. You know, if you're going to have a general mantra or approach is start small. Okay, let's figure out one thing that you can change. You know, if it's getting rid of those, you know, sodas and juices and all the extra calories. But you got to kind of work with the patient to kind of figure out what the resources are and how to help them do it. And also set a goal because if a patient doesn't know where they're supposed to go, you know, they keep thinking, I've got to lose 100 pounds. Well, no, no, no. All you want to do is... You only need to lose this much to get the health benefits, so no one's asking you to look like a a rail. Let's review some of the evidence about motivational interviewing to improve dieting and exercise. We'll start with the clear objective stats. One, kids with diabetes type 1 showed improved A1C numbers over one point with motivational interviewing compared with basic daily glucose monitoring. Two, heart failure patients enrolled in exercise program demonstrated better six-minute walk test results after just a couple of MI sessions. Three, overweight women enrolled in behavioral weight loss programs who got supplemental motivational interviewing sessions showed significantly greater weight loss at six and 18 months, primarily due to markedly higher adherence to their diet plans. Four, groups from African-American churches in behavioral weight loss programs who received added motivational interview sessions just over the phone ended up consuming at least one more serving of fruits or vegetables. We have a few more studies posted under the podcast description for your perusal as well. It might be worth asking, though, why does MI work for dieting and exercise? Specifically, I I think we saw in our skit that motivation is not a fixed thing. The reasons to change or maintain the status quo are not static, especially when it comes to dieting. Self-image, family issues, addiction, work, partner, or peer pressure all play into an individual's motivation to lose weight. And don't forget health. MI is dynamic in a way regular behavioral or group therapy is not. It's tailored to the patient's individual goals. Nothing's prescribed, nobody has to fit into a single paradigm, and the impetus to change comes from those individual goals. There's evidence for this, too. DeMarco gave individuals undergoing both usual care, normally behavioral or group therapy, and usual care plus motivational interviewing, detailed questionnaires about their dieting efforts. Her study demonstrated that those getting motivational interviewing had decreased eating concern, meaning they spent less time thinking about eating or trying to plan meals, 
as well as an increased sense of control over eating. Impulse eating dropped. And I think a big part of that was due to, one, the patients getting that constant reinforcement from providers doing the motivational interviewing, and two, the study found that they were more meticulous with their diet journals, a key tool in weight loss programs. They were more aware of the overall arc of their efforts how the small daily successes or struggles fit into the big picture. Definitely, and this is a theme we'll take up in our next podcast on adherence to therapy and medications. So I would kind of focus our initial conversation around cutting back sugary drinks, having more water in their diet, um, and that can make a huge difference. I just see where they're at now, and I tell them that, you know, I don't expect them to lose 30 pounds in the next month. You know, it's all little baby steps. Just do one thing at a time. You know, just change one meal a day to something healthier. Just go for an extra 10-minute walk a day and start out there. I guess most patients seem open to the idea of losing weight when you bring it up, so it it's, um, hasn't been a sensitive subject in my experience, but I know that some people um, might react defensively, uh, like you're accusing them that they're not doing enough to lose weight, eat better, like their health problems are their own, so you should always approach it delicately and then kind of see um, what the patient's um, ideas about it are. And most people are very aware if they're, you know, obese or overweight. Um, and then I go from there and ask if, I, I guess I sort of approach it similar to smoking, you know, are you ready to make a change? And if they're not, then you just, you're not gonna get anywhere. Because people know, just like they know smoking's bad for them. Um, they know that being overweight is bad. 